today on Ag News Daily. The food insecurity really shone through during the pandemic in Alaska. Um, the governor now realizes that they, he needs to create a better infrastructure for agriculture. And, you know, the time for now, the time is now for Alaskan agriculture. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Thursday on the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, I did not realize that we were already so close to the weekend. So it's a great afternoon for me after realizing that. We certainly are, Ashton. We're just two days away now over the hump of the week. This weekend is, of course, Super Bowl Sunday for everybody that's interested in watching the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. Uh, fight over that. I'll be cheering on the Chiefs personally, but I'm sure we've got some Buccaneer Tom Brady fans that listen to the podcast as well. But I tell you what, Ashton, I'm actually stuck at home today. We got quite a bit of wintry weather here in central Iowa, and uh, I opted not to drive into work today, and I definitely made the right choice there. Well, Delaney, I have something that I've got to tell you. Yesterday, it was about sunny and maybe 75, 70 degrees here in Lubbock. So I, uh, I'm not jealous of you right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk about it, Ashton. I don't want to, I, you know, every year I think, why do I live in, why do I live in Iowa? The winters here stink, but the summers make up for it, I suppose. Yeah, I bet you it's not as hot as it is down in Texas, but I've got to say I'd rather live down here than up in the Midwest. I don't think I want to ever experience a Midwest winter. No, you don't. They're unpleasant sometimes. Well, Delaney, kicking things off, talking about some news for today. Down in Argentina, the main transport worker group in the country, the Argentine Confederation of Transport Workers, is set to meet later today with government officials to discuss the sector's inclusion in priority recipients to receive the Sputnik coronavirus. Now, I haven't heard of the Sputnik coronavirus vaccine Um, I do believe it's, you know, coming from Russia. I can't, you know, exactly confirm that. But CAT leader Juan Carlos Schmid sides with these groups being included in priority vaccination because transport activities were deemed essential at the beginning of the pandemic and these workers haven't stopped working since the start. Domestically, we're rolling out first and second doses of vaccines to essential workers and at-risk groups, and the agriculture sector looks like it's warming up to the idea of getting vaccinated for COVID-19. In fact, in a recent study by Purdue University and CME Group, 24% of people in the ag industry planned on getting vaccinated back in October of 2020, but Just last month, it's up 58% of people in that same group plan on getting vaccinated. So as we discover more about the vaccine, COVID-19, vaccine rollouts, and as more vaccines are starting to hit the market, I don't think it'll be too much longer until the ag industry at a global standpoint begins to get their vaccines. Well, that'll be good at least for securing our supply chain. We won't have to worry about any sort of plants shutting down again and impacting our food supply. And I'm, you know, just thinking ahead here, since I mentioned that, we're actually going to have a great conversation today that you lined up with 
a now native Alaskan to talk about a cattle drive they've put together. But we do also talk a little bit about some of the impacts that their state has seen from COVID-19 being so far away, obviously not adjacent to the United States directly, but having to try and work through some of those supply chain issues during COVID-19. But uh, switching tracks here just a little bit, Ashton, the Biden administration's nominee to lead the EPA had his Senate hearing earlier on Wednesday. Of course, that is Michael Reagan. And he committed to working hard with the agriculture community to tackle thorny issues, including the renewable fuel standard and implementation of the Clean Water Act. He said, quote, with this administration, we're going to have an open door policy. I want to hear from our farming community. Uh, He also went on to talk about a couple other factors, of course, that would impact agriculture, but did spend quite a bit of time, it sounds like, talking about the renewable fuels standard and the association work, you know, partnering with them to get things clarified. Um, I don't know for sure that he mentioned waivers. Some of the news reports I've seen so far haven't really mentioned any sort of waiver talked specifically, but he at least did acknowledge the renewable fuel standard and uh, said he wanted to work with farmers. So I thought that was somewhat optimistic. It certainly is, Delaney. And while we're talking about the EPA, I think it's only timely that we talk about the latest from Bayer. I believe it was yesterday that Bayer announced it has reached a formal agreement on a plan to manage and resolve future cases, including or involving Roundup. Attorneys representing plaintiffs in the case filed a motion for preliminary approval of the agreement. And as part of the deal, Bayer would pay up to $2 billion to support claims and programs covered by the plan. In Bayer's announcement, they said, quote, the class plan is intended to be part of a holistic solution designed to provide further closure to the Monsanto Monsanto Roundup litigation. And additional elements of the plan include establishing a fund to compensate qualified complaints during an initial four-year program, an advisory science panel whose findings would not be preclusive but can be used as evidence in potential future litigation involving class members, a robust notice program, and research and diagnostic programs that were part of the original class agreement. Bayer is also pursuing permission with the EPA to add a reference link on product labels for glyphosate-based products. But I just think it's pretty interesting on what's going on with Bayer. We haven't heard too much here lately, but, you know, under a new administration, we'll see how the EPA handles that and if they are going to, you know, edit their product labels for those glyphosate-based products. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. I saw that yesterday and forgot to mention it on the podcast action. So I'm glad at least one of us is staying on top of it here. But one thing we're staying on top of this week is export sales numbers. We saw a new weekly record set for corn export trade sales. And note, this is for last week, week prior. We're not talking about this week in particular, but we did see a strong export sales report released this morning. The trade was looking for about 6 to 7.8 million metric tons, and we saw a record 7.4 with some extra decimals. We'll say 4.4 million metric tons, which is about 200 million, 200 million metric bushels in export demand for old crop corn. 
this is, of course, you know, we've seen a demand-driven rally now for quite some time. This continues to factor in and is uh, very supportive for U.S. agriculture. We've also, of course, got the February WASD report coming up shortly next week. Haven't seen official estimates out for that yet, but uh, we'll be sure to follow up with those as soon as we know them. Well, Delaney, we have been talking quite a bit about African swine fever on the podcast lately, but one swine virus we haven't really been discussing is porcine epidemic diarrhea virus. There was a PED outbreak back in 2013, and I remember that pretty vividly because we talked a lot about it back when I was in high school at that time in my ag classes. But the Swine Health Information Center is now using producer data from that outbreak to analyze and predict outbreaks from occurring. Weather, topography, movement around farms, and other things similar to that that occur in the barn environment result in PED outbreaks. So with the data and information that researchers now have, they are able to predict a PED outbreak two weeks before it occurs, which can help prevent an outbreak. And researchers are hoping to continue this project and discover information about other diseases like porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome and mycoplasma. I think it's just pretty interesting and I guess sort of timely, especially as we're continuing to talk about African swine fever, that maybe eventually they can start predicting African swine fever outbreaks and the technology can just really advance and hopefully we can get better control and better biosecurity measures on, you know, things like this, not just, you know, in the swine industry, although it is coming from the Swine Health Information Center, but, you know, maybe this can expand a bit further into other species. Yeah, that's pretty crazy that they could be able to predict that stuff. Um, And actually, speaking of the swine industry, we're not talking specifically about African swine fever, but if you haven't checked out the PigX podcast, I help produce and host that on behalf of the Iowa Pork Industry Center. It's not just for Iowa pork producers. It focuses on swine mortality, more specifically at uh, the weaning stage, I guess is been the focus so far of most of our discussions, but uh, that would be a good resource too to check out for any of our pork producing friends that we have listening. But Ash, I tell you what, I'm all out of news for today. What do you say we hop in to talk market? Let's do it, Delaney. Well, I thought today that the corn markets were going to finish higher. They traded to new contract highs, but did not finish through on those gains. We actually ended lower on the day as the March corn contract shed two cents to close at 550. The May down a penny and a half to close at 547 and a half. Soybeans were slightly higher today as the March contract added a penny and a half to close at 1372 and three quarters. The May up a penny and three quarters to close at 1369 and a quarter. Chicago wheat today, major losses as the March contract shed 12 and a quarter cents to close at 636. The May down 10 to end at 640 and three quarters. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock market. Strength today is the February live cattle contract added 97 and a half cents to close at 116.45. The April up a dollar 30 to close at 123.75. And in feeder cattle, March today up 97 and a half cents to close at 139.50. The April up 85 to close at 142.67 and a half. And in lean hogs, a little bit of mixed trade today as the February contract shut off a dollar 35 to close at 71.02. The April slight 10 cent gain today to close at 79.30. 
and hopping over to take a look at the dairy class three milk futures. February today down just two cents to close at fifteen fifty six. The March down two cents to close at sixteen oh one. Without further ado, Ashton, I am super excited to turn it over to our conversation with Monica Thornburg to talk about Alaskan agriculture and the Great Alaskan Cattle Drive. Well, folks, I'm super excited to introduce today's guest on the podcast. We're talking to Monica Thornburg about the Great Alaskan Cattle Drive. I just saw this you know, about a week or so ago on Twitter. And I'm super, super excited to talk about this. I think it's so interesting, especially being in Alaska. So Monica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to talk to us about the cattle drive. It's my honor. So Monica, before we actually get started talking about Alaskan agriculture and what you're doing with the cattle drive, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes. Um, so I'm actually not from Alaska. I am a Missouri resident um, originally. Go Chiefs. Go get that Super Bowl win. Here comes Sunday. But um, I grew up on a farm in rural Missouri, the little town called Wellington, Missouri. Um, there we did a typical Missouri production, which is corn, soybeans, cattle, hogs. We did a little bit of everything. Um, I went to school and got a degree in agriculture science and communication. And then Corona hit, and so I was looking for a job and came across this ranch in Alaska, and I was like, whoa, like, there's actually ranch or ranch work in agriculture in Alaska, and the whole concept just kind of, like, blew my mind, and so I called the guy up, um, Scott Muggridge, which is now my business partner, and we started talking, and um, I just found the whole operation really cool and um, decided to put my application in, and a couple months later, here I am working for the ranch, getting to know a little bit more about Alaskan agriculture and just how cool and how vast and how they've made agriculture work in such a different environment than what I'm used to back in Missouri. That is a fantastic story, Monica. And I was thinking here, I don't think we've ever had anybody on from Alaska. So I guess you kind of count now that you live there. But, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm an Alaskan was... resident now, for sure. I <laughs> oh, have okay. the Alaskan car, ID car. Oh, oh that for counts sure. then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Perfect. So tell us a little bit more about the cattle drive experience. You guys have a, a website called the Great Alaskan Cattle which talks a little bit about it. And there's some cool videos and stuff on there. So I encourage our listeners to check that out after the podcast. But talk to us a little bit more about how this idea got started. Um, so the idea got started um, by my business partner, Scott Muggridge. Um, we have to haul cows down to the market, which is about six hours from where we actually where the home ranch is and where we produce the beef. And uh, that six-hour drive, it is long. It is very curvy. It's right through, like, the mountains. And so Scott was driving down there the first time, and he just was looking at the mountain ranges and just the landscape. And he thought, man, like, this would be the perfect place to drive cattle. And uh, so that's kind of how the idea started. But Scott told all his family about the idea and no one ever seemed to, to, to take a hold of it and to grasp, grasp the idea. And then um, I came along in August of 2020, and he told me the idea. And I was like, whoa, like, that's cool. And I saw the opportunity as a great way to advocate for uh, 
agriculture in Alaska and just really go to show that like there's more than snow here and it's more than just cold and darkness all the time. You know, there's a lot of vast agriculture production in this state. And so that's what the cattle drive is really pushing to highlight in um as well as drive for some policy changes to make farming in Alaska more plausible, more doable. Um, the cattle drive, um, it is what it sounds. So we actually are going to take a hundred cattle and drive them through Alaska, through the Alaskan wilderness. Um, this summer, um, probably starting in June or so, we have guest packages available um, offering many cattle drives and just really get to experience what it like is like to be an Alaskan cowboy. Um, I would just encourage everyone to go to our website and find out more information about it. Um, but I'm super pumped about the opportunity to be able to be a part of the cattle drive and definitely make a change for Alaskans um, in general and Alaskan agriculture. So Monica, I just want to, I guess, clarify this is this summer, summer of 2021, you're doing, you know, the, the mini drives, but summer of 2022, that's your, your big drive that you guys have, have been planning and pushing for, right? Yes, ma'am. We'll have a big drive in 2022. Awesome. Well, um, my, my next question is you, you mentioned there talking about policy and how this drive is helping work towards, you know, better policy for Alaskan agriculture. So why don't you just touch on that a little bit and how the cattle drive and policy is, you know, working together to kind of ameliorate Alaskan agriculture. So when I say policy change, there's a couple of policies that come to mind in particular. Um, the big one for us right now, because we are primarily beef producers, is to create a state inspection agency for our beef. Um, I don't know if anyone's really familiar with all the USDA um, policies and whatnot, but the USDA policy would just allow uh, producers to sell their beef outside of the state. Um, that's not really a thing for Alaska. You know, like we don't have any close states that we could even sell our beef to. And so all of the beef that we produce is marketed in state and creating a state inspection agency would just allow us to um, keep all that meat in the state and just allow for more retail options. Um, a fun fact for you is that 95% of the food consumed in Alaska is shipped up from the lower 48. And, um, that's another big thing that we want to change through the drive is just to create more food security within the state. Um, I think the statistic now is that $6 billion goes out of state for food and that's just for food. And so we want to create a more stable economy in the state to um, create more jobs and just really create something in Alaska other than oil and um, fish and game. Absolutely. That makes sense, Monica. And I'm guessing, you know, during COVID, you, you mentioned you kind of transitioned into this job during COVID. So I'm sure you got to experience this firsthand. But in Alaska, having to import, not import, but, you know, ship so much product from the lower 38, lower 48 up to Alaska. Did you guys see a lot of food shortage issues or supply chain issues during COVID because you weren't able to get food products into the state? Oh, for sure. Um, there's a saying in Alaska that uh, Alaska is two weeks away from starvation and a misbarge. So a week, two weeks after a misbarge is when all the Alaskans will starve. Um, 
if we miss a barge. But I started the pandemic in Missouri and I saw the shells were bare. And if you guys can just picture what your shells look like, kind of bare, not a lot of supplies, you know, take that times two or three. And that's what the Alaskan uh, grocery stores are like. People are going frantic, just trying to get all the supplies they need. And the food insecurity really shone through during the pandemic in Alaska. Um, the governor now realizes that they, he needs to create a better infrastructure for agriculture. And, you know, the time for now, the time is now for Alaskan agriculture. Um, we have the governor's attention that, and he realizes that agriculture is essential. It's essential everywhere, but the lack of agriculture in Alaska, now is the time to confront that and to make the changes. Absolutely. So Switching tracks just a little bit back to the Great Alaskan Cattle Drive. Um, on your website, it looks like you have packages where folks can sign up and do this. So, I mean, is this kind of an agritourism type of event that you're encouraging folks to sign up for? Oh, for sure. Um, we definitely want people to come and experience Alaskan agriculture. Um, the cattle drug packages are, or the best I can explain it is it's going to be like an old cowboy, cowboy movie. So we'll come give you horses, food. It's all inclusive. Um, but then we'll take you out to where we're going to drive cattle and you'll stay there for the week. We have comfortable bed rolls, all the campfire cooking and guitar strumming that you can even want in them. It's going to be one heck of a time. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch a John Wayne movie and That'll paint you a pretty good picture of what the vacation would look like. So you you say, you know, all-inclusive. That makes me think of like some resort in Mexico and you say vacation. But I mean, what you guys are doing, this is, you know, true cowboy work. It's not, you know, so much of a super relaxing time, you know, going to go to Alaska, like an Alaskan cruise or anything like that. It's, you know, people are going to have to, you know, have like in your video on your website, they're going to have to have true grit to go and do this. So it's not like, you know, the, the Yellowstone, you know, stuff like that on, on TV. So, you know, what exactly will people be doing on a day-to-day basis on the cattle drive? Um, yeah, you definitely are going to have to have some grit and some, some sweet cheeks because you're going to be in the saddle for, Um, probably about five to six hours a day, you know, it, it really just depends on the weather and where we are at, at, where we're at in the cattle drive, depending on how long you'll be in the saddle. But a typical day would look like getting up, um, for breakfast, um, saddling up your horse, and then we'll start the herd out to reach the next destination. We'll probably stop along the way, get some lunch, um, that you have packed in your saddle bags, and then we'll saddle back up and then keep pushing cows um then we'll stop for camp probably about hmm, i don't want to say time but then we'll start set up camp and have dinner um relax tell some cowboy stories um and just relax so yeah you're gonna have to have some true grit but um there's also going to be some time to relax and really get to take in the alaskan scenery because once we stop and camp for night like you're going to be able to go go adventure like where we're at go down to the creek and take a take your bath take your weekly bath and uh just kind of enjoy your time in Alaska and that type of year it'll it should be pretty brighter there should be sunlight pretty much the entire day is that right correct okay so people really will get to take in the true Alaskan adventure and they'll get to 
really experience Alaska from a firsthand uh, traveler perspective. That is super awesome, Monica. Thanks so much for joining us today. Before I let you go, share with our listeners one more time, if they have questions, they want to maybe look into taking a vacation to Alaska and joining you on the road. How can they uh, find you guys? Uh, Well, I encourage everyone to go check out our website, which is greatalaskancattledrive.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all um, those social media platforms. But if you have any questions, um, the contact information is on our website. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Well, Monica, thank you again so much for coming on and good luck this summer as you start out your your mini drives. And hopefully in you know 2022, y'all will have an even better and bigger drive. Thank you so much. Well, again, a big thank you there to Monica. Honestly, that was probably one of the best interviews we've had in quite some time, Ash. At least I found it super fascinating. I did as well, and I would totally be all over that if I was more of a horse person. Unfortunately, I have don't think I've been on a horse since I was in like the third grade, so I don't know if I would be a very good cowgirl up there or very much help, and you're allergic to horses, so unfortunately, the yeah. Daily Podcast won't be showing an appearance probably, but I just, I think it would be so cool to, you know, travel and learn more about agriculture, not just in Alaska, but from, you know, any standpoint. So hopefully here soon we can get back to normal and back to traveling. But Delaney, in the meantime, we can always look at the Ag News Daily podcast on agnewsdaily.com. And folks, be sure to keep up with us on social media as well at Ag News Daily on all platforms. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go?